Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. It is a Thursday. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Out to the Raider Nation listener line. Raider Dave in Denver, and he wants to talk about the offensive line. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. I'm good. I have completely forgotten where Brandon Parker ended up. Did he play himself into a role on another team? Because he actually had quite a bit of playing time along with Young last year. He was, you know, he's still on the team, and uh, so by all accounts, he's going to get one more opportunity um, to kind of prove what uh, what he's all about. Unfortunately for Brandon. Um, you know, he's been given opportunities and he hasn't been able to take the bull by the horns. And uh, every time that he's gotten an opportunity, he hasn't held on to it. And that was apparent last year, right? And um, so we'll I see. Think that- I think, he, I think, I think, you know, it's worth it to give him one more shot and see, see what he's all about. Uh, it doesn't well, cost you a, a good, whole lot. He, he would definitely be a good depth player. But I think if I, if I remember correctly, most of those fumbles that Carr had were people being able to swat at the ball, and that comes from the left defensive end to a right-handed quarterback to where the ball is on their side. So they got an eyeball on it the whole time, and they can swat at it, knock it out of his hands, hit his hands. You know, I don't see a lot of other uh, quarterbacks having that kind of duress or trying to step forward a little bit to move out of that because he gets it in his peripheral and he tries to move forward. Now, up the center that he's trying to throw out of a phone booth and you just can't step forward and, and put anything into it. So, you know, I believe that um, the left tackle had kept more people away this year than obviously the right tackle side did. So I think with Leatherwood coming in, shoring that up a little bit, and youth on the line is going to be able to help Jacobs get to the second level where I don't think the older players, as good as they were, were able to do that consistently. The center pretty much was the pancake special, but uh, I don't think anybody else was really getting to the second level like they should. And I, I just totally expect this to be a quicker line, that uh, edge rush on the right-hand side. I think Leatherwood will have the quickness to go ahead and get that and give Carr like an extra second to where he doesn't have to worry about it and, uh, and worry about a big hand swatting at the ball. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, Leather, Leatherwood pick um... – what to me is really interesting. Uh, it's we, we'll see if the Raiders were were, were right. Uh, I thought their thinking um, and their thought process was, was prudent. He fits what what it is that they're trying to do. Not every offensive line is the same in terms of scheme and 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 blocking techniques and the run game principles and, and all that. Got teams look at that specific to themselves and and um, you know I, I don't think enough. Uh, f- from a national perspective is is put into that, like what each team is doing schematically and why a certain player might fit better than another player. And that's no disrespect to any other player, you know, that's out there. Um, and, and so we'll see if they were justified in their pick. But I really like what I saw in OTAs. Um, I've, I've mentioned this a couple of times. Uh, there were a couple of exercises where they were putting them through some pretty rigorous um 
not blitz pickups, but um, stunt pickups, pickups. You know, there's obviously a lot of creative things, exotic things that defensive lines do to confuse you on who you're supposed to block out of, you know, the snap. And they were throwing everything at the kitchen sink <laughs> at, at uh, young Mr. Leatherwood. Uh, and by they, I mean uh, Tom uh, Cable, the, the offensive line coach. Uh, and there were some pretty crazy things that he was asking his defensive linemen uh, to do to try to throw Alex Leatherwood off. And he aced it. He aced it every single time he picked up the right guy. And that isn't always the case. That's how breakouts happen. That's how somebody goes, you know, running free and, and takes your quarterback's head off or blows up a, a play. So um, it's, it's, they, he's coached well, and it's, it's always been inside on you backer in one, two, and three. It's just the ability to read and recognize that and, and keep your feet to where you can get to that position. Yeah, uh, no question. And yes, um, he, he's been coached up at Alabama. They have an outstanding uh, offensive coaching staff there, um, uh, offensive line coaches as well. And obviously Nick Saban drives a hard bargain and players are accountable. And if they're not getting it above the shoulders, let alone physically, they're not going to be playing. There's too many good players out there uh, that they could turn to. Look what we saw with you know uh, Henry Ruggs uh, and Jerry Judy move on to the NFL and you're thinking, wow, how are the, how is Alabama going to replace those guys? And the next wave of guys are just as good, if not better than those, than those guys. It's incredible the level of talent that they bring in. And Alex Leatherwood started, what was it? His freshman year, I think, um, or at least got on the field and played in some guard, then moved to ta- back out to tackle and was a stalwart on, on a, on a really good offensive line. So um, I, I think I think he's going to be fine, and I think that that's going to help in terms of the turnovers. Yes, the quarterback fumbled the ball too many times last year, uh, but to me, not all of those, and I would say less than thirty percent of those were on him. If that, I mean, there's only so much that you can do, um, you know, as a quarterback when you're when you're under the dress that way. By the way. Uh, I've been I've been talking about this quite a bit, uh, and Raider Dave, I think you'll find this interesting if you haven't, you know, already taken a look at it. But that coaching tape that John Gruden put out uh, to uh, for for the high school coaches out there, he has a couple of high school coaching friends. I think it was a former player, one of them, and uh, and, he, and and John was you know uh, nice enough to to put together a coaching clinic YouTube video out there. Um, where he broke things a lot of down. And what, what you were able to see, what he was able to provide was practice footage uh, of, of a lot of the different things that the Raiders were Raiders do during practice. Um, and one of, one of the, uh, uh, there was a segment on not just coaching up in perfect situations because perfect situations rarely happen at this level. Guys, you're always playing under duress, especially at quarterback. So, it's easy, not easy, I shouldn't say easy, but it's easier sitting in a beautiful pocket and being able to look around and cruise around with your eyes and have the time to be able to, you know, uh, set your feet and get your, and all your fundamentals are perfect and pristine because nobody's, you know, trying to bite your head off uh, right before you throw the ball. That's obviously it's easier to do that and guys can function much better when everything is pristine, but that's rarely the case in the NFL. And so, and and I think with Carr having such a quick release, part of it was because he had to. But the other thing is, is how many more routes come open instead of just two and a half seconds, you get three and a half. So one extra second 
gets him to go ahead and be able to scan the field a little bit more, gets that other mid-route, you know, for uh, rugs or whoever to make that break to uh, get the hips turned of the of the defensive back, and Carr can go ahead and decide to throw it over the other shoulder, and they can go run and get it. So, with yeah, with, uh, without question, and uh, really appreciate second. the call, uh, Raider Dave. Um, but 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 in addition to that, that's not always going to be the case. So. Um, you know, uh, in this in this practice footage that that John Gruden was pointing to, it's all the rigorous stuff that they put their quarterbacks through. Derek Carr, including, because sometimes you're going to have to make the throw off your back foot, and sometimes you're going to have to, even when you do, be able to 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 rev it up and get the same kind of velocity that you do in a pristine. Um, situation. Sometimes you're going to have to make that throw under duress. Sometimes you're going to have to make that throw with people in your face. And they they try to simulate that as much as possible in situational practice periods where all hell broke loose and you still got to make the throw quarterback. You still got to figure out a way to get the ball where it needs to be with the velocity that it needs to have uh, in spite of it all. And I think that, you know, I'm, I'm, it, this is not exclusive to John Gruden, but what's fascinating to me is that I think more and more coaches are figuring out, like, we can't just practice it under the best possible um, in, in the best possible environment, in the best possible scenario, with uh, everything going perfectly, we can't practice it like that. Yes, you want to walk through it so that everyone knows their steps, everyone knows where they're supposed to be, where you're supposed to look, all of those things. Yes, you're supposed you want to do it at half speed, where you're getting your timing, your footwork, all of that down. Um, you know, for 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 when it works out perfectly, but you also have to practice it for when it's not working perfectly, especially uh, as the quarterback to throwing off your back foot, throwing on the run, throwing um, you know, uh, in a crowded space. And I think that more and more coaches are understanding. Got to do that too. You have to practice it when it's not going well at all, because that's going to happen more often than not. And the ability to still make something out of that and still execute the play, even in spite of, you know, big number 56 barreling down on your throat uh, and somehow figuring out a way to get the throw to where it's supposed to be is a critical, critical part uh, of, of this of this game. And I think when you look at Derek Carr, I think he's improved in that area. Uh, in the time that I've seen him since 2016, I haven't been here on a day-to-day basis uh, since he got in the league, I should say, in, in 2015. Uh, but but from film that I've seen of him earlier in his career to now, uh, and I think a lot of this has to do with, you know, he's just more comfortable as an NFL quarterback. Uh, he's seen much more um, than he did earlier in his career. He's played in all types of different situations um, when it's going well, when it's not going well. Unfortunately for him and the Raiders, there's been too many times where, you know, he wasn't getting uh, all the, all the help that he, that he needed. But, you know, as, as, as somebody that has to perform under, under those type of circumstances, I thought, I, I think that he's gotten uh, better, but going back to the offensive line as, as Raider Dave, you know, talked about, Yes, there's concern. You can't just say, um, "Okay, going to trade Rodney Hudson, going to ca- trade Gabe Jackson, uh, going to trade you know Trent Brown f- for whatever whatever it was that he brought to the table last year, which was very very minimal." Um, but in theory, Trent Brown, you're trading Trent Brown. Uh, those are some; those are three talented football players, without question, that have 
are proven quantities that have performed at a certain level. You know what you're getting uh, from them. Now, in Trent Brown, it was, but are you going to get him on the field? That was the big question with him. The other two, Gabe Jackson and Rodney, uh, Rodney Hudson, were, certain, were certainties. You take them out of the equation and replace them with different players, there's always going to be, okay, you think that they're going to be um, adequate. You think that they're going to be... Um, acceptable that they're going to that they're going to provide a, uh, a, a an acceptable level of play where there's not a major drop off or anything like that but until you see it you're only kind of guessing however and i've talked about this before uh, you know I I, I I i give leeway sometimes um you have to really to people that have done this their entire lives and, and have been in it as long as a John Gruden has been at it, or, um, you know, obviously a Tom Cable has been at it and the support staff around those two coaches and, and everybody else, the factory that Andre James has been learning in over these last couple of years, I know from experience, just watching it on a day-to-day basis, like you do, you, there's development going on. Uh, not everyone, you know, everyone's focused on the starters. I used to always look at uh, the backups, you know, and, and and watching them in practice and how they were being used and how they were coming along. A great story. Um, earlier in my career, covering the NBA, covering the Lakers, um, I did a story on Larry Brown, the, uh, the former UCLA coach, the former coach everywhere, really, uh, Detroit Pistons, Kansas, uh, you know, he's been he's been everywhere. But he was the coach of the New York Knicks, all right? And um, and my my, the jo- my job was I'm going to do a story on Larry Brown. The Knicks are headed to town to play the Lakers. Let's do a big profile story on Larry Brown. Okay, so what do you do in that situation? You go track him down somewhere. So the New York Knicks, before they came to Los Angeles, were going to play up in Golden State in Sacramento. You know, go catch up with him uh, up north. Do your story so it'll be ready when uh, the Knicks come to town to play the Lakers. So, um, so I go up to the Bay area and, uh, I'm, I'm doing a profile on Larry Brown. So they're playing the Sacramento Kings and it's two, three hours before, uh, before the game starts. Right. And, um, it's early outs. I don't know if you've ever been, if uh, guys, if you've, if you've, uh, if you've, um, been to an NBA game, there's that point in time, uh, way before the game, where guys are, are are getting warmed up, not the warm ups, not the layup line and all that nonsense. This is way before that when guys get their shots up, um, and f- more importantly, it's a it's a kind of a development time where some of your bench players, guys that don't normally play, are out there working with an assistant coach on their post up moves or outside game, their two man game, whatever the case might be. So so really, it's more for a lot of the younger players who aren't going to play in the game to get out there and get their sweat and get their work in. There's never a wasted day. This isn't a practice day. It's a game day. But what about that guy who's your 13th, 14th player? Um, What's he doing today? Well, this is what he's doing. Long before the game starts, he's out there getting his sweat in, getting his work in. So I'm over there, you know, and uh, who do I see uh, on, on the bench but Larry Brown? Now, I've been doing this a long time. It's very, very, very rare that the head coach of a team is out there during that part of the day. It's usually 
the young players and, uh, you know, one of the assistant coaches, you know, teams now have five, six assistant coaches. Um, you've got a big guy coach, you've got a guard coach, you got a wing coach, you know, you got guys that are going to be able to defend that they're out there. And in the, on this day, Patrick Ewing was out there. He was in a coach with the Knicks and he's working with some of the young Knicks big guys. Right. So I go and sit down with Larry, with Larry Brown and I'm like, He's like, hey, how you doing? You know, and I'm like, why are you even here? Like, I don't normally see a head coach out here. And so he told me, ah, you know, I like to relax. Number one, it's a it's a good time to just be able to relax, get my thought my thoughts uh, together. He goes, but I also like to look at you know some of our young players and kind of see where they are, you know, and and uh, and and how their development is going. He goes, but you know what I really really like doing? I'm like, what? He's like, I love watching the young players from the other team. And I always take notes and I'm always watching them because you never know when that young player is going to be available, whether it's in free agency, a trade. He goes, for me, I get to see how are they working? What are they doing? How are they coming along? You know, you see the names, you hear the names, uh, but I get to see them uh, with my own two eyes. So he was using that time not just to uh, keep an eye on his own players and his own team. But he was looking at other players, other young players, and seeing what their work ethic was, where they, how you know, how their development process was going along. So I'm like, wow, that's like next level. You don't think along those terms, but here he is, way before the game. Most coaches are in the in the locker room doing their thing, you know, uh, and there he is, making sure that he didn't waste one second in his craft and his job. Then, so. Uh, I was like, well, that's pretty cool. You know, thanks a lot. You know, da, 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 you got it. You know, and uh, he taps me on the leg as I'm getting ready to leave. And he's like, see this kid right here? And he pointed at uh, a young player on the Knicks who was working with Patrick Ewing. And they were getting after it. And there was sweat. And there were just really, it was like a, it was a, it was a, um, uh, just, just two bulls just going after it uh, and getting after it. He goes, keep an eye on that guy. And I, I was like looking at him. I didn't quite know who he was, to be honest with you. He was a bench warmer for the New York Knicks. I go, oh, yeah, who, his name is David Lee. He goes, he's going to be a good player. You watch. He's going to make a lot of money in the NBA. And David Lee, if you remember, uh, ended up going to the Golden State Warriors and was uh, a, a really good player uh, for them and um, kind of got the ball rolling, <laughs> you know, with the, uh, with, with the Warriors. But long before that, um, he was a youngster and um, – I'm looking at uh, his his career right now. He was, he was a young player at that time. It was 2005, uh, I think, and uh, just a young kid with the New York Knicks, uh, trying to figure out his way. And 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 I he played he played 67 games last year. That year started 14 games, about 16 minutes per game, averaged five points a game. So he wasn't quite there yet. But Larry Brown said, "You keep an eye on that guy right there. He's going to be something special in this league." And you know what? <laughs> He was. There was a nice little run uh, for David Lee. But again, you know, um, being able to take it back to the Raiders, being able to watch the behind the scenes stuff. That was there were no fans in the stands. Uh, it was a quiet arena. One of those, you know, uh, the time in the day where. Uh, you could hear every basketball bounce. All the remember, you could have been up in the uh, in the in the last row uh, of the at the top of the stadium, and you would still hear the grunts and the sneakers uh, on the uh, on the court when they're cutting and the balls bouncing and everything like that. It was just literally the development side of the NBA at its core. At its core, it wasn't a practice day, but again, there's no wasted days ever. In professional sports and those guys that weren't going to play and chances are david lee didn't play that game 
they were getting their work in. They were going to make sure that they were not wasting a day uh, to help them get where they wanted to get to. And when you look at the Raiders' offensive line and you look at a guy like Andre James, that's kind of his where he's been these last couple of years. He got a few snaps here and there uh, as a rookie, but more than anything, he was working behind the scenes. And as as Larry Brown sat there and looked at David Lee and said, just keep an eye on this guy. <laughs> You're going to be hearing about this guy. It's not going to happen overnight, but it's going to happen for him, and he's going to be somebody that people remember, and he's going to make a lot of money. He knew because he was watching and paying attention, He know, and more importantly, he knows what he's looking at. He knows what he's looking for. He knows what he needs to see. You don't think Tom Cable knows what he needs to see from Andre James? And you don't think that John Gruden called Tom Cable and said, hey, ma'am, there's a lot of reasons money-wise, whatever the case might be, but uh, we're thinking about trading Rodney Hudson. We're thinking about moving on from Rodney Hudson. Are we good? Do we have to make a move? Uh, is this something that we can deal with if we, if we don't have Rodney out there? And I can almost guarantee it. Tom Cable said to John Gruden, we're good. We're good. We're going to be okay. I know what I see and what I need to see in Andre James. It happens all the time in the NFL. And as fans and sometimes as, as, as media members, you know, we're like, what are you doing? And we kind of forget sometimes that there's a point in the day on the NBA schedule, right before a game, three hours before a game, where a lot of hard work is being put in way behind the scenes. And this is in addition to practices on off days where coaches are watching this type of thing and getting a good idea of what they have coming up in the wings and what they might have in waiting and whether or not, hey, we'll be okay if we trade Rodney Hudson because we got this guy by the name of Andre James who is ready to take over. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. As my great producer, DeMond Cotton, uh, texted me, um, David Lee made $94 million uh, in his career. So Larry Brown was uh, obviously right. And by the way, uh, and I'm sure DeMond loves 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 to hear this larry brown ironically enough is back in the news he's now penny hardaway's assistant coach at the university of memphis and you know what's so interesting about that and to this day i still think that um luke walton should have done this when he was a coach of the lakers um huge luke walton fan uh class act um you know and i think that he's in the right situation could still have a bright future as an NBA coach. Um, hasn't been in very good situations, uh, to say the least, not with the Lakers. Um, even when he was, when, when LeBron got there, LeBron gets hurt. They, they were closing in on the, uh, on, the, on the Warriors at that point. Had beaten the Warriors on Christmas Day up in Oakland. And then um, LeBron gets hurt, I think, in that game. And it was never the same. He was never healthy uh, the, the rest of that year. Luke Walton gets fired. The rest is history. Now he's up in Sacramento. However, I always felt 
especially with those young guys that he had, Brandon Ingram, uh, uh, Lonzo. Uh, I mean, I could go on and on and on on the players. Julius Randle, Jordan Clarkson, Larry Nance Jr., uh, Josh Hart. There was a lot of good young players, and we're seeing all those great young players now uh, excel elsewhere. Obviously, it worked out for the Lakers. They used a lot of those players to go get Anthony Davis. Uh, they had to clear up the space to get uh, LeBron James, so trades had to be made, et cetera, et cetera. But I always felt that Luke Walton, being as inexperienced as he was as a Lakers head coach, especially with the young team, and if you look at great NBA teams over the years – You've got a head coach who usually shrewdly brings in that old, crusty, kind of been there, done that, seen it all assistant coach that's going to be his sounding board. Uh, there's there's a bunch of guys in the NBA that fit that category. The Lakers used to have a guy by the name of Bill Burka, and he was Pat Riley's trusted uh, assistant. Pat Riley, when he took over, People don't realize this. When he took over the Lakers' uh, head coaching job, he had barely started coaching at that point. In fact, he was a commentator. He had played for the Lakers. Then he became a commentator with Chick Hearn. Then all of a sudden, he goes down to the bench to be an assistant coach. And the next thing you know, he's the head coach. Just kind of, it was a weird situation how it all broke out. Well, what does he do? He brings in Bill Burka and go look up Bill Burka. And he was still kicking. I love Bill Burka. But guys like that, that have been there, done that. I always felt, and I think I wrote it or at least tweeted it at the time, Luke, go get yourself Larry Brown. I think he was coaching overseas at that point or was you know, um, not working at that point. Go get Larry Brown. Put him on your bench and let him be your trusted advisor. Let him be, and, and you know, Larry Brown, I love him. One of the great coaches of all time, but he grates at people after a while. There's a expiration date wherever Larry Brown goes where it's, okay, time to move on from Larry Brown. But there's also, go look at what he did in Detroit. He coached circles around Phil Jackson in the NBA Finals uh, in 2004, I think it was. Circles. Remember who the head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers with Allen Iverson? that beat the Lakers in game one of the NBA Finals in 2001. Yeah. Larry Brown didn't have nearly the team. I know, Allen Iverson, Hall of Famer, but it was Allen Iverson and George Lynch. And I got to look back at that roster. They were okay, but they weren't Shaquille O'Neal, Kobe Bryant, you know, uh, Robert Ory, Rick Fox, on and on and on and on and on. Derek Fisher. He pushed the Lakers, Larry Brown did. He coached great teams in uh, in Indiana, won national championships uh, in Canada. The guy is just a tremendous coach. I know that he comes with some warning tags uh, because he could be mercurial. Um, he can be stubborn. Uh, he can be a guy that falls in love one minute with a player and then out of love the next, wants to trade everybody, the whole roster. Um He's going to cause some headaches if you're the general manager. But in a right role for him at this stage of his life, he's the perfect addition for Penny Hardaway. The perfect addition for Penny Hardaway, who you know is still growing as a coach. You don't get it overnight when you haven't been a head coach before. Um, there's so much to do as a college coach. 
from recruiting to administratively to and going out. NCAA, and, when you got to worry about the NCAA trying to take you down, yeah. You have to stay within the rules. You have to know the rule book. <laughs> Definitely. So, who doesn't so know the rule book this, more than Larry no, Brown? No, who's, no. Yes, of course. Who, who, who doesn't Who doesn't know the rule book more than Larry Brown, who stepped over the rule book a couple times? He's 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 gotten uh, his hand slapped a couple times. If I remember, wasn't it? Where was he at? Um, SMU, right? Didn't didn't he run a foul uh, in in SMU? So there's nobody that probably knows the NCAA rule book as vast as it is. And as you know, maybe out of date as it is, but the rules are the rules. And so, you, you know, to have somebody that understands, that's why you have a compliance officer. That's why you have people that scour that book, you know, from beginning to end, know it by heart, can read it frontwards, backwards, sideways, everything else to say, hey, coach, can't do that. Can't do that. Maybe Arizona State <laughs> needed a better. Com- have, you, have you been watching that? on with um herm edwards holy cow talk about somebody who had everybody fooled i love herm edwards i'm like shocked you know that the integrity level wasn't quite there as i thought it was with herm edwards some of the things that they were doing up at arizona state um allegedly are pretty darn bad. I can't believe it. It sucks. I, I was really rooting for Herm Edwards. I love Herm Edwards. And it just seems like um, he tried to take advantage of some situations and got caught with his hand in the cookie jar. We'll see, you know, where, where it all goes. But, yeah, um, Larry Brown uh, working with Penny Hardaway, I think, is a, uh, is, a, is, a is a good deal. And, yes, there, there's no doubt. What, what was it with, with Wiseman? What was the deal? Why, why do you feel like the NCAA is trying to take down Memphis? Because the NCAA doesn't want Memphis to succeed. We've seen it before. Tried to take away our rightful national championship season with Derrick Rose. He owed the SAT, the ACT. Did he cheat on the test? James Wiseman. Oh, he moved him from Nashville to Memphis. Sorry that Penny's looked after this kid since like eighth grade. And the NCAA wants to say, nope, that's, oh, you know, did he buy him a house? Can a coach not help a kid out? I mean, we don't know what exactly he bought. Paid for a little moving expense. I don't know, but that was. Does anybody want to? Does I'm, I'm just putting a call out to the callers. Does anyone want to set demonstrate? Nobody cares about Memphis enough to want to take Memphis down. <laughs> like, like they're not. Show they're me. not like. They're Penny, not I'm like the evidence. Come on. They, they, you know, if you draw attention to yourself, you're going to get busted. That's the way it is. But I don't think anybody's ever set out to just get Memphis. I mean, they, they, you know, come on. I have enjoyed uh, Memphis basketball over the years. There was a kid by the name of Lee. What was his name? Um, he was a, Keith Lee, right? Keith Lee, power forward at Memphis way back in the day in the in the 80s. Look him up if you can, Demond. Um, Keith Lee, Memphis. But he never panned out in the pros. It was weird. But that was a – they put a run on uh, with Lee. I think they made the Final Four, if I remember correctly, if you could look that up if you get, if you get one chance. So there's been periodic moments – for the University of Memphis, obviously, when when uh, you know John Calipari, one of the great Italians of all time, loved John Calipari, uh, went to Memphis and um, and and did what he did there. Um, you know, unfortunately, <laughs> there were some issues, and uh, I don't think anyone was single. I don't think anyone was singling out John. I mean, uh, Memphis, but I can say I'll I'll give you this, Devon. I think people were singling out John Calipari. Is that fair enough? Of course, that's fair. They ran him off, and then he got that new shiny job in Kentucky. And what could have been if the NCAA didn't try to 
taint this man's career. Well, yeah, um, I, he's he's fine. I don't think. Uh, I mean, I'm sure he's a little bit bitter about about certain things and about how certain things uh, played out. You know, has he been 100 um, percent scot free? Is anybody? I mean, come on. You know, uh, I hate to use the word the, the term. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Uh, but let's put it this way: I think. Um, what we're seeing since really uh, 12 a.m. today with the new rules with the NCAA where, where, where players and athletes across across all, all, all forms of, um, of athletics in college sports, and we're seeing it across all athletics uh, in college sports, not just football and basketball, but there's been some players, uh, athletes, men, women in all various sports are, are cashing in on being able to monetize themselves and their stature in whatever – for whatever sport they're playing in whatever college town uh, they're playing in. And I, and I think that, I don't know, I think that it could, at the end of the day, maybe level things off a little bit uh, as far as the juggernaut that, like, Alabama is right now um, and Clemson is right now. Because I think players are going to realize, like, hey, if I could go someplace and play and put some money in my pocket quicker than having to wait in line maybe at Alabama, you might see some players deciding on to go someplace else because there's an opportunity someplace else uh, to make some money. And I think it's really incumbent on these college programs to embrace it as quickly as possible. And you know what? Short of, you know, what did BYU came out and said you can't endorse coffee? I'm not going to get yes, into caffeine, all that. Caffeine is basically a sin in the Mormon religion. It's, it's yeah, that's, that's, that's uh, you know, uh, there's certain things that you just can't do. Uh, and I respect that. I totally respect it. It still looks weird when you see it uh, written out like that. Like you can't endorse coffee of all things. I cannot imagine a day going a day without coffee. I just can't. But anyway, um, teams and schools that that embrace this and get creative with this as quickly as possible are going to get a leg up on their uh, competitors. And I think teams, the wise programs, I already know that Notre Dame has been putting plans in place. LSU looks like they were you know, got a head start on this because it was coming. They knew it was coming. And so there was like a little bit of a runway to July 1st where it became official. And I think the smart colleges, the smart college programs were preparing for this moment in a way that they could maximize it as much as possible to show future recruits of all sports, really. Hey, <laughs> we're, we're good with it and we're going to help you. Uh, we're going to help you out. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, the Arizona uh, uh, University of Arizona football coach just tweeted out a um it, it was it was a cut from the the movie what was the agent movie with uh tom cruise um Jerry Maguire. yeah where he's like help me help you and it was just that scene where you know he was like uh and basically he was telling future recruits i'm here to help you man if <laughs> you need me to help like what can i do help me help you and uh it was just a genius um a genius so do you think th that coaches or maybe like the staffs or whoever's involved with like the program no matter which sport do you think they're going to try to help some team like help some players out like hey man tire shop's looking for you know someone to uh be a spokesman you got yes. the free time yeah no yes yes i think that i think that they're going to be able to um and they'll all it'll all be legal they're not paying them you know they're not they're not paying them but they will have I'm sure relationships with local businesses um, that you know they can they can uh, um, point players toward in order to um, 
help them make a little bit of money. And you know, you're gonna see um, you're gonna see things like autograph sessions. You know, where where you know you, you go show up at the uh, at the um, whatever the uh, the car wash or you know um, I the the local pizzeria. It's not just the national stuff. Like people are are, are running with like Nike and things like that. But you got to understand, like a lot of these colleges are in college towns where there's always that great sports bar in town. Um, there's always that great pizzeria or uh, the Mexican food restaurant, you know, whatever the case might be, who would love to have the star player of the team in that town and maybe even more players. Hey, go over to I, I tweeted it out. I can't wait for the interview on, on ESPN game day where they bring in the star player of one of the teams and they go, look, before, before we, uh, before we get to the interview, I just want to give a shout out to Chenzo's pizzeria over on fifth and Van Buren. Don't forget Wednesday nights half off their deep dish. And by the way, I'll be over at, uh, Al's, um, uh, auto shop, uh, this Monday, $20 uh, on a, on an oil change. Poor, you also I can't get a wait for a college kid to big time. I'm in an interview. They ask him a hard question. It's just like, Hey, I'm just here to talk about Al automotive. There you go. There you go. There you go. And, um, you know, so you're going to, you're going to, listen, I used to obviously covering all the sports that I have in the past, you go to the NCAA basketball tournament and <laughs> the lengths that the NCAA goes in those post-game interview sessions where they, they come out there and they have the moderator, they have the, they have the athletes, the players up there with their coach. And they're always so quick to call them. The student athlete. The student athlete is now ready to be. Uh, that that's enough questions for the student athletes. The student athletes. The student. And it's like okay, we get it. They are students and they're athletes. But the but but like, I can't wait in that situation. I'll, you know what, Damon? I'm on press row one time during an NCAA tournament game. Uh, it was one, a regional final somewhere along the line, and I I had I brought my own water. I think it was, or it was a coffee into the arena. And I'm on my at press row with my coffee. I think it was a Starbucks. And somebody came over there and put tape on the Starbucks. And because, no, we're, we're sponsored by such and such. And if anyone sees that on TV, we're going to get in a lot of trouble. I'm like, oh, that's like what we're dealing with. I'm so happy that players are now going to be able to do their own deals with their own companies, whether it's big companies, small companies, uh, up and coming companies. Uh, and be able to earn some money uh, on their own. And uh, when we get back, I'll talk about, don't come at me with some, well, what about the taxes? There's 13-year-old kids now that are making a million dollars off TikTok and being influencers on social media. They're figuring out how to pay their taxes. Somebody's helping them pay their taxes. I think a college athlete at Penn State will be just fine in that regard, too. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. We're going to go right back out to the Raider Nation listener line. Joe, my apologies, brother. Uh, Joe's in Los Angeles. Uh, I kept him waiting. Um, I forgot to get back to you, but uh, my apologies. I owe you one. How you doing, my friend? I'm good, thank you. I was just going to tell Devon if he wants me to call back because I, I did want to say a, 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 a long comment, but let me preface my it. comment by saying that 
I'm a huge John Gruden fan. I watched that video he made for the coaches. I wanted to put my pads back on, you know, and go out there and play for him. And I'm a fan, right? So, and that's why I want to preface that. I'm a huge John Gruden fan. But I started thinking about, despite our problems we had in the defense, right, and our offense has been good. But the problems that I've always seen is in our red zone offense. And then I started thinking about when he came out in 98 and debuted as a coach, you know, in many respects, he was considered a boy genius, innovative, not outside the box, and there was so much fanfare. And so I started thinking about why we consistently have failed over the years with the red zone offense. Maybe it's personnel. Maybe it's other things. But then I started thinking about how we always make judgments about in the defense that Paul Gunther's defense was too complex. It just wasn't, you know, there's some there's some disconnect. And maybe I'm comparing apples and oranges, and it could be that we didn't have the person the right personnel for the defense. But couldn't that same argument be made in the offense? Because everybody will agree that John Gruden's offense is very complex. You know, everybody says, well, we have hundreds of plays. You know, he, you know, he probably has those old school phone books worth of plays. And I'm wondering if that's hindering anything. And then I started thinking, do we need a different play caller? And now this is where it gets sticky because I know I'm going to get a lot of pushback on that. Because I'm wondering, do we need somebody that used to be the John Gruden from 98 that sat outside the box. Maybe John's got comfortable, you know, knowing that he has these hundreds or thousands of plays. Maybe he hasn't been able to utilize them because of the situations we've been in. But internally, you being an insider, I'm, I'm assuming you may or may not know whether or not he's getting uh, feedback from other people or actually bringing someone in to say, this is what I want to do. How would you do this play differently? Somebody who knows that, I mean, since he started in 98, the NFL has massively changed. And so what can we do to have more creative plays on the field? I know last year was a pandemic year, and it may be, you know, things just didn't work out. But I just see a lot of creativity on, on the play calling. And so I'm wondering, like I said, as, as much pushback is I'm going to get. Do we need a different play caller? Is the offense too complex? I mean, what do you see the problem was specifically with our red zone offense? Um, the long answer, no. I think that uh, the Raiders are perfectly fine with John Gruden uh, as the play caller. Uh, to me, um, there were a couple, there's, and then, you know, w- when you're talking about uh, if you're asking or we're implying, you know, uh, are, are there other people involved in that process? Absolutely. Greg Olson is involved in that process. Your your offensive line coach, um, who's basically the run game coordinator, is involved in that process. Uh, a guy like Greg Olson, who's highly, highly respected uh, offensive coordinator coach, um, to me, he's not going to go back and work with John Gruden again unless – um, a, he respects him, obviously, but B, he doesn't feel like I'm being listened to. Um, you know, my, my thoughts aren't being respected. Like Greg Olson doesn't go back to work with John Gruden again. And now they're going in year four together without the understanding that, hey, he gives me leeway. Uh, I'm part of that process, a big part of that process. I'm respected. So if there is a collaborative effort, um, you know, w- with the play calling and the play selection, there everyone's in there, uh, you know, the 
Olsen is talking to John, telling him what he sees from his vantage point, um, and, and, and they're collaborating. I don't necessarily think that it was play calling that held them back in the red zone, especially last year. Um, they actually improved in the red zone. They cut down on some mistakes in the red zone. They scored more points in the red zone last year than they did the year before. They weren't able to punch it over. Um, and they, and they, they've been particularly, um, it's been a particular struggle at times in that nose to nose, get that half inch, that yard that, that they need. And to me, part of that has also uh, been, to me, losing Richie Incognito last year was a huge blow to that run game and specifically those type of situations. Not having Trent Brown out there consistently hurt the Raiders uh, in, in, you know, because this is a big, powerful football player uh, who's able to, to you know, blow open holes and, and do what he's supposed to do to help in that run game. They just weren't efficient um, in those in those short yarded situations. And so I, I think it was I think it's more just execution and health and just being better on the offensive line. Um, you, you know, uh, I, I think that also, I think what's going to help this year, I think is a, a more healthy um, Foster Moreau, Brian Edwards being part of the, uh, the being a more consistent part of the offense, obviously, uh, you know, Henry Ruggs as well. I think Ken, I think, you know, intuitively, the Raiders understood, and John Gruden was a big part of this, what kind of an impact a player like Kenyon Drake could have in the red zone. Uh, I think that, that that was sort of the vision that they had for Lynn Bowden Jr. Didn't work, obviously. Now they've got a legitimate Lynn Bowden Jr. type player uh, in Kenyon Drake. So they're, they're tinkering with, they're, they're making it a, a point of emphasis. I don't think it was uh, poor play calling. Uh, I think there were other factors, and I think they'll be fine if they can settle down and just execute and especially be healthy. Uh, they're, to me, the, the point of emphasis that they've made that side, that part of the, of the game, it's gotten better these last couple of years. It just needs to get a little bit more better uh, in terms of scoring touchdowns in the red zone. Got to feel like that's going to get turned around a little bit this year, but we'll see. Uh, hey, just want to say thanks to uh, all of the callers. Thank you for bringing it. Thank you for participating. Uh, it's always a pleasure talking to you guys. Always a pleasure hearing your thoughts and insights. Um, Raider Nation, the fan base is second to none, and your knowledge is second to none. I enjoy talking to you guys and hearing what you guys have to say. Uh, thanks to Devon Cotton, uh, our great producer at Home Base. Really appreciate everything you do. And Bajador Tequila, obviously, go check out uh, Station Casino, the our South Point Casino. Uh, check out the uh, uh, the uh, Chefs for Kids poker tournament on Tuesday night. I'll talk about it again uh, tomorrow. Thank you to Embajador Tequila. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Teca- uh, Tequila Embajador. We'll check you guys out tomorrow, 4 to 6 p.m. on In the Huddle Raider Nation Radio.